So last night, the president ordered a strike against uh, a airstrip in Syria. Uh, this obviously has major implications. We're here today very, uh, very quickly with Alan Goldenberg and Nicholas Harris of our Middle East security program to help explain what happened and why this matters at both a strategic level and a uh, and a on the ground facts level. Uh, guys, can you just quickly tell me what happened? So um, the the Assad uh, regime is 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 strongly believed to have conducted a series of airstrikes uh, earlier this week against a armed op an opposition controlled town in the northwestern province of Idlib, um, using chemical munitions that had sarin deadly sarin nerve agents. Um, in them. You know, estimates vary about the number of civilians that were killed by the attack, but we have credible reports of anywhere between 50 to 100 people, including a number of women and children that were killed by the attacks, hundreds more injured, including um, emergency relief workers that were rushed to the town to try to help the population. This has led to um, a series of very public uh, international condemnation of that event. and. The U.S. Uh, acted forcefully yesterday with the, with the firing of 60, around 60 cruise missiles against the El Shayarat uh, air base in the central western province of Homs, which uh, is a major hub in the Assad uh, regime's efforts to fight the opposition in western Syria, and it has recently become a base for Russian coordination for potential um, operations against ISIS in eastern Syria. So does this particular airfield then have, um, this isn't just a symbolic or ceremonial strike, this actually has major strategic uh, implications on the ground? Well, I think that remains to be seen. Uh, it all really matters what comes next. You know, on the one hand, what you might see is what President Trump said last night was this is about the chemical weapon strikes. That's specifically what this is about. So it could be that we just have this one-off strike, damage to a number of planes that are destroyed, runways destroyed, but basically then things just go back to business as usual inside Syria. The Assad regime will probably not use chemical weapons again. Uh, and I'm sure that the Russians and the Iranians are letting them know that was a bad idea. I'm sure they realize it was a bad idea. They didn't expect it to provoke this kind of response, or they wouldn't have done it. Uh, and, but they still have plenty of other tools at their disposal to go after civilian populations, whether it's uh, um, conventional weapons, airstrikes, barrel bombs. barrel bombs, all kinds of things like that. And so now that's one scenario. But the other scenario is this is the beginning of something much bigger because, you know, President Trump might be intending right now for it to just be a one-off, but if three or four weeks from now we have more pictures of children dying, even without chemical weapons, the Russians and the, and the Syrians are actually trying to escalate on that front, specifically to humiliate the United States and make the military action look feckless, you can see us go up the escalation ladder, very much uh, the way things went down in Libya in 2012, where we started with a very limited civilian uh, protection mission, but slowly that expanded, expanded, expanded until it basically became a regime change operation. So given that cruise missiles are probably not going to get rid of the Assad regime, uh, what would be entailed here if uh, the president does choose to go with a much more aggressive strategy? 
Well, I think the first thing that he's got a number of different options. Um, one thing you could do, and something Nick and I have written a fair amount about, and we also wrote about last year in an ISIS study group report, is this idea of actually using the threat of military strikes to deter all attacks on civilians through the air. Uh, that would be one way to do things, essentially creating zones of the country where the Assad regime's air force was grounded, and then in those zones, supporting and working with the local opposition to try and replace al-Qaeda or ISIS with something more acceptable. Uh, and then leveraging that type of military intervention, which would be much more broader to, to, to get to some kind of a negotiated political outcome. The problem with that is um, a few problems with that. One, th th that scale of military operations significantly increases the risk of inadvertently killing Russians and bringing us into a much more direct confrontation with them. Uh, so, you know, this first set of strikes was just focused on um, this one base. We warned the Russians, they moved out of the way. They have now turned off a deconfliction mechanism that we've had with them for a number, for a couple of years, which is worrisome because that's one of the channels for communication. Uh, the other big problem uh, is that um, there's a lot less moderate Syrian opposition left to work with than there might have been a couple years ago. In parts of the country, the east and in the south, they still have options. But in the northwest, where most of this is going on, um, it's mostly al-Qaeda and other extremist groups at this point who are the opposition. And so you don't want to become al-Qaeda's air force. Now, until four or five days ago even, our primary mission in Syria, as laid out by the president, was to get rid of ISIS. There have been a number of reports that firing at uh, Assad regime targets actually makes the fight against ISIS considerably more difficult. Can you uh, explain why that is? So the theory is is that by attacking the Assad government and its partners, that you empower uh, ISIS as it tries to expand its uh, area of control into the Damascus suburbs, into that sort of central zone. Um, the One of the interesting dynamics that we've highlighted earlier in this discussion is that the airbase that was struck was becoming a key node in the Assad government's uh, efforts to make the claim that it was conducting a campaign against ISIS in central and eastern Syria. So, for example, the ancient city of Palmyra that had been lost by the regime and then regained by the regime and lost by the regime and now recently regained, those operations were basically coordinated out of the al-Shirat airbase that was struck. So there is this argument that's now being put forward that if you continue to um, System, systematically conduct strikes against regime targets, other air bases, other military assets, forward operating bases, that over time you weaken the security infrastructure of the regime to the point where it begins to crumble. And then you open up the space for extremist groups, whether it's ISIS or Al-Qaeda or others, to seize and hold territory and make it much more difficult to dislodge them further down the line. Uh, now, probably the single hardest question, given that we've made these strikes, what do you guys recommend we do next? Um, well, that is the, that is the million dollar <laughs> question. Um, you know, I have really mixed views on that, because on the one hand, both Nick and I have actually argued for, for a few years now uh, that the United States should get more militarily engaged in Syria, that there are things that we can do and that we should have been doing, that the Obama administration was too hesitant that you know, President Obama wanted a full, clear pathway all the way to the very end of how this was going to go before he was willing to take action. And sometimes it's not the way war, war works. Um, on the other hand, 
I am very anxious about the current administration's approach because I'm concerned that they don't necessarily have a pathway planned out at all. I mean, a week ago, as you said, they weren't even talking about this, and now we're dropping bombs on Assad. You know, they they have done very little to uh, focus on the political end of things. They have actually talked about dramatically cutting support for aid, for reconstruction, for all the things you need to win the peace after the war. They seem to be de-emphasizing that. So I would argue is, first, they need to figure out what the political end state they want is and how how they want to execute that. Mm -hmm. Then you work backwards and you say, if this is the end state that we want, these are the limited military options that we've taken thus far. Are there other things we should be doing in the middle such as you know this option of limited military strikes, or there's certain areas where you can increase the support for the opposition to, especially in the south, to put pressure on Damascus. You could do those things. I would not recommend doing them until you had a clear plan on what you were going to do in the political track. And I just don't see any 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 movement there yet. And to follow up on that point that Elon made, which I think is the very key part, is how do you look at opportunities to empower local partners on the ground to create security and governance zones that can then be turned to interim zones of stability is a very important point. The hope is that the this air the, this airstrike indicates to the Russians that the Trump administration is serious and that it is going to come to the table uh, with the willingness to use military force if civilian populations are targeted. And at that point, hopefully, you can begin to really jumpstart the negotiations. Where, okay, how do you begin to create interim uh, processes that can get you to some sort of broader understanding, as Elon outlined? And one of the interesting dynamics from the from the press conference that was held by Secretary of State Tillerson and National Social Security Advisor McMa- uh, General McMaster yesterday was that Secretary of State Tillerson hinted that one of the objectives that the government, that the Trump administration was looking for was how to build out a zone of stability in, so- in southern Syria. And so we might be beginning to see the initial phase of what Elon has outlined. Of an almost federalized state. Yes. That's pretty much the way we the way we think about it is, and, and Nick and I have written written on this, some of this too. Um, you know, right now we have these almost six different zones of control inside of Syria. Uh, one is held by this moderate group in the south. One is held by the Turks in the north. One is held by Al Qaeda. One is held by ISIS. One is held by the Assad regime. One is held by the Kurds. What you need to do is try to negotiate an outcome that makes this reality sort of the politics work with this reality which requires a few things. One, figuring out some kind of a resolution between the Turks and the Kurds. Two, figuring out a resolution with between us, the Iranians, and the Russians uh, towards how we're going to deal with taking out al-Qaeda and ISIS, uh, but deconflict. Um, and then three, reassuring our Gulf partners in Israel that as we're doing this, we're not leaving in place an Iran that's got too much influence in Syria, trying to contain it to the extent possible. And then, after that, you can sort of try to forge a political agreement. Um, Military tools can be useful in, as Nick said, increasing your leverage in all these negotiations if people take you seriously and think you're more invested. But, but this is the objective you're trying to get to, and that's always what you have to keep yeah. in mind. So almost as if the military is the shovel, but they're not going to build the house. Right, exactly. exactly. Great. Um, we've got a lot to discuss here, and I'm sure we'll be talking about this quite a bit. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Thank Neil. You.